Hello, hello. This is Chad, Larry, and Dawn with the Palmetto Real Estate Pros. Welcome in on this Friday. It is 9.06 in the morning, and welcome in. We're talking real estate today. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Chad, Dawn, Brian. Good Good morning, America. And wait, we had somebody call in from Australia last week. Yeah, we did. That was interesting. (laughs) Yes. Absolutely. Fantastic. So yeah. all of the world is listening is what you're what you're telling us. Everybody in now, the world is listening. Now think right of now. this: what time did he get up or go to bed to be calling us at nine o'clock in the morning from Australia? That's halfway around the world. Well, we'd have to get and our world clock us, out. I don't so, know what the time change is. Right. It might have been midnight. I don't know. Yeah. So he was up late. <laughs> well, he just enjoys the show. That's what can we say. Jamie. That's right. Good morning, Jamie in Australia. Absolutely. And we are talking real estate. We're going to get on topic here eventually and talk talk some real estate. And some of the things we're going to discuss today is what people feel like the market is doing, how <laughs> realtors or people that are in the industry feel about the market. Um, we're going to maybe touch on what's going on with the Airbnb market right now, which is interesting. And maybe if we have time talk about what the makeup is of the the homeowners that are out there now what the you know how many people own their homes free and clear how many people have a mortgage um you know it's interesting that there are more people than many may think that have a house that has no mortgage and um this is that's a good thing right because yeah. it gives you more opportunities <laughs> to do you know what you want with your house you can move rent your house have income coming in, you can sell it, have the cash, and pay cash on another house. You know, so it opens up opportunities. Um, now, Erica may not like people buying houses cash. It, well, if they all do that, she would. Yes, yeah, she job. she would be out. <laughs> She'd be unemployed. <laughs> yeah. So, but it is good if you have that opportunity, and there's a lot of people doing that. And you know, one of the things we we may touch on if we have time as well is w- what is the impact of the institutional buyers in that because they're not coming in typically getting financing they're paying cash as well which does affect market well one of the things that affect market uh, i understand the unemployment um, rate dropped a little bit because there's a couple hundred thousand or 25 or fifty thousand some not large number of people got jobs this last month or two uh, and that should affect the market a little bit too. Well, and that's going to affect it. Interest rates. Interest rates will go up, up mm-hmm. because Isn't that crazy. The job market is improving, so you know too many people are at work right now. Uh, isn't that what? Uh, it, it just anyway, does not make logical we'll, sense. It just doesn't. It's so counterintuitive. Exactly. And so that's kind of one of those things that we're 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 looking at and as we kind of delve into these topics a little bit, we 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 get reports, you know, about where the market's at, what things are selling for. Uh, you can probably find that if you you look online yourself, but this is interesting how about how people that are in the industry feel about the industry. <laughs> And um, you know, it's it's one of those things that we were talking about before, Dawn. I don't. I think you were out of town, or uh, not out of town. Maybe you were getting recovery, yeah, uh, recovering, recovering from from yeah. something. But at any rate, um, emotions have a huge impact on the market. 
you know, you think, well, oh, yeah. that, that's just, uh, you know, it's all finances. It's financial. You know, we just make financial decisions based on, but we realize that it is emotional as well. And how people feel is huge. Right. And so, Dawn, yeah. I don't know if you saw the same information, but it looks like confidence, broker confidence. This is a, um, you know, a BCI, right? The Broker Confidence Index. <laughs> sounds sounds really right. technical. <laughs> I like it. Yes, I but like it. it's it's a, they rate kind of like do surveys. How do you feel about the market? And I've gotten these surveys before. Hey, can you please fill out this form? We want to see how you feel about the market. And I guess that's where they're getting this information is how we feel the people that are in the industry. And so, Dawn, let's start with you. We'll do a quick survey. How do you feel about the market? I I feel like it's a great market, honestly. I mean, you know, I don't do a lot of traditional house sales. It's more um, investment properties, but it's always it's always a great time to buy if the numbers make sense. I feel like really good about it. Well, and you're not alone, evidently, because a lot of people that are in the industry feel the same, even though there is this, you kind of get this idea that there's trepidation, right? You know, like, what, what's ahead? Because none of us know. It's kind of what well, interest rates are, are contributing to this problem that we have with inventory. Buyers are out there, so people are feel good that there are buyers in the market. I think most of us are like, yeah, there's people that want to buy. And so... Our problem on the other end of that is, okay, we have people wanting to buy. We need more stuff to sell. So that's where the problem is, but it still is not where people are like, oh, my goodness, we're heading for recession. It's terrible. Most people feel pretty good about the market and and have high hopes. It it seems really stable. It's a stable market. We're not seeing giant swings. Um, housing inventory is loosening up a little bit. I mean, not like a lot, but it's certainly looser than it, it, it feels. We're going to use that word. It feels looser than it was um, back when interest rates were at near zero, when uh, everyone was paying cash for a house and kind of squeezing out all the other home buyers. Uh, with the you know if you even if you had 20 percent down and weren't asking for any contingencies those cash buyers kind of squeezed out those other um, home buyers and it's not really as much like that now Uh, and so that feels good it's like i can help you find a house now i feel good taking buyers out to look at houses having confidence that there's a an opportunity for them to actually get that house and isn't it interesting because you know we were all here during the pandemic when it went like real estate went to nothing i mean you know for that time where nobody knew what was happening everybody thought the virus was gonna kill everybody you know everybody was like what is going oh, on we're all gonna die yes exactly and so nothing <laughs> happened but then it created this pent-up demand when the market came back and at that time rates were at like I mean, the the federal funds rate was at zero. Mm -hmm. So you had these super low interest rates, and you had an inventory problem then. And so it created this huge demand. Prices spiked. And now you have still the same problem with inventory. Maybe not the same exact, but the same problem with inventory. And um, But interest rates are now pushing seven, seven or so. And so um, you have a different thing but you still have demand it's amazing <laughs> you know so this is good right, we well, still have demand 
Right. And I know that we're about to take a break, but one of the things that happened as interest rates started to rise was um, giant investing firms like BlackRock actually got out of the market, which uh, created a lot more inventory for regular homeowners, uh, owner occupiers to come in and actually buy a house. Right, exactly. That loosened up, yeah, that loosened up the market quite a bit. So, um, you know, fewer cash buyers just by that, you know, factor alone. Yeah, exactly. And so this is a perfect place to pause, and we'll come back in a couple minutes on the other side of the break. We're going to talk about maybe some of these institutional buyers and what happens when they come in and come out. So uh, hang on. We'll see you on the other side of the break. This is Chad, Larry, and Dawn with Palmetto Real Estate Pros, and uh, we welcome you back. And if you have a question or comment, you can call us. We would love to hear from you at 803-799-TALK. It's 803-799-8255. And we're talking about broker confidence indexes, BCIs, right? I still um, have confidence. That's right. And so this will be interesting to know (laughs) what you... I'm a confident person. (laughs) Right. But what do you think out there listening? What do you think about the market? What is, you know, it would be really probably better to know what the what the public confidence is, not what a broker confidence is, because we could be super confident <laughs> and nothing happening. Right. <laughs> so that would be bad. Um, so we, we need people that are buying and selling and we can look at numbers and see that people are still buying and selling. Obviously, the problem we've talked about many times is inventory. But we know there's buyers out there, and uh, we don't just know this from the data. We know this because we work in the industry, (laughs) and we see people, and we're like, I'd love to help you find something, but what you're looking for is might take a little time. Be patient, or we have to look off-market for things and be a little more creative. And, Dawn, I know this is where one of the things you probably hopefully picked up from us is the creative aspect of real estate that sometimes you have to get outside the box if you want to help yes. people at the highest level. Yes, and I absolutely love that is one of the many, many nuggets of gold that I picked up from working with uh, Palmetto Real Estate Group here. And um, it's outside of the box thinking that has helped me not just help a lot of sellers sell their home, but like right now, um, we've got an off-market property that I had a buyer for, I, just, I had a seller for, and a buyer for, and, and so I was able to help a buyer that, you know, he put a couple offers in on a couple different houses, and um, right. neither of them worked out. And, but you know, this one, yay! <laughs> Dawn, we were looking at a couple, we were trying to do some uh, comparable sales on a property yesterday, and uh, there were a couple, and these were lake properties, and we saw that a couple of them were on the market like zero days, two days. And, you know, our conclusion when we look at stuff like that is sometimes what happens is these are off-market properties. Yes. And they Mm -hmm. put it on MLS after they already have a buyer and a seller so that they can get, I'm I'm using my air quotes here, credit for the sale. Mm -hmm. Now, we don't don't care as much about the credit. The only thing we care about is getting it sold and making somebody happy and ourselves happy. Right, and there's nothing wrong or unethical about that. If a buyer comes and says, hey, I want to sell this, 
and you have a buyer that's looking to buy and you put the two together, I mean, that's you're brokering a deal if that's what you're doing, that's, or you could, right. you know, buy it or something. But um, that's kind of some of those things you'll see when you look on MLS. How is a property on the market zero days? Well, it probably already had a buyer and seller, you know. It and, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a done deal. It was, it was a, a done, done deal. deal. Sometimes right. the seller knows the buyer. Sometimes the buyer knows the seller. In this case, this house, um, they were waiting for a few factors to come through before they were able to list the house. In the meantime, I had a buyer and mentioned, hey, I've got this buyer. They looked at a house literally a block away and were outbid. Um, you might be interested in your house. And the buyer was like, let's make, or the seller said, let's make it easy. Yes, I just want to work with that one buyer. Exactly. So it was even, it was done, a done deal even before the listing paper. We've had that signed. happen many times. Mm -hmm. And so right. uh, we've got good news. Erica's with us. Erica, are you, are you on the air with us live? I am. Yes. No, no. <laughs> Woo, Erica's not recorded today. No, not that you're ever recorded, Erica. <laughs> that's right. Erica is, is very used to being live on the air because she has a show on Tuesdays at nine o'clock. Be sure to listen to that if you get a chance. And, um, we, we appreciate you listening, uh, every day. Actually, Fridays is a good day to tune in also at nine. Yeah. So Erica, Absolutely. how are things going? We're talking about yes, real estate. I know you're, uh, in real estate, whether you like to be or not, because you're uh, giving people loans and stuff. She so. loves real estate. She does so. love real she estate. She loves what she you, does. You have to if you want to be in the business. Yes. <laughs> like, I mean, well, if you if you want to be successful, right? You got to love it. You got to love it because it's right. Work. I think I think sometimes people romanticize our jobs a little bit. I don't know if you guys can relate to that, but I I I have a lot of um you know friends and family that are like. Oh, your job! Your job is so dreamy. You have so much flexibility, and Erica, blah, 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 I love blah, that. Blah. Your job is dreamy. I've never said that about dreamy. your job. I love that though, dreamy. And, and, and I said, you know what? I've been. I do a really good job of making it look easy because it's really hard. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's not hard for the reasons why everybody thinks. You know, the math part easy. Learning the loan programs easy. Structuring easy. The challenging parts that I think people don't often realize is that whenever you're dealing with a real estate transaction, it is a highly emotional experience for usually buyers and sellers. Well, it's, that's what we were talking about last week emotion. and we touched on this week, Erica, is that it is emotional and that, you know, a lot of times people think of it as a financial decision only and obviously is a financial decision, but that doesn't mean there's no emotion in it. There's a lot of emotion that takes place. No, and there's, especially with what I do, the finance side, that is a deeply personal aspect of our lives. I think sometimes we don't realize how intimate of a subject that is. Um, when you're talking about someone's credit score, their assets, their income, their debt to income ratio, and people feel very protective of those things, and uh, rightfully so. And I tell them, hey, I, you know, I'm your advocate. I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to make your puzzle work. Exactly. Right. I'm here to figure out the puzzle. But it, it's one of those things where I tell everybody that that's the hard part. It's the it's the creating relationships, building trust, um, having people let down their guard so that you can advise them and lead them through a successful transaction. That's hard. That's the, hard to navigate. That is the key, though, to any success in life, if you think about it, Erica, because until you get real about what's going on in your life, whether that be finances, your personal, your emotional, spiritual, whatever, 
it's kind of hard to move past or to get success, if you will, on the other side, if you never share what's going on. And uh, folks, if you're listening and you've just kind of said, well, I'm not going to do anything because I, my credit's bad or I don't make enough money or, you know, whatever the case is, it's a good opportunity, someone like Erica, to kind of help you. This is on the other side of all the pain or the emotional side of sharing all that information. There's good news because you can put people in a much better financial shape if if they do have those issues they have to overcome. Yeah, I mean, they might not buy today, but six months from now or nine months, I know it sounds like a long time, but to get yourself in a position to join the ownership ranks of real estate. Right. And Erica, Nine months is hard. only a long time for seniors in high school. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, 10 months is a long time if you're pregnant. You know what I mean? Like for everybody else, <laughs> yeah, there it is. That too. Yes, I exactly. don't know about that. <laughs> you know, so I, I, I tell people, you know, you have to choose your hard. And, you know, I tell my kids this. I feel like anything I tell my kids, I end up telling um, all my clients. Is, well, I had a client that told me last week she felt like I was reparenting her. Which, which kind of made me laugh, um, you know, because I said, you, you know, you got to choose your heart, you know, and and I said, renting forever and building no wealth through real estate, that's a hard choice. Sacrificing and investing and planting roots and becoming a homeowner, that's hard, too. But you get to choose. All of you get to choose what your heart is every day. Um, and so, you know, she was like, you know what, you're right. And I, because she you know what she was concerned about? She was concerned that she had worked all these years to save up all this money and that by purchasing a house, it was going to disappear. And I said, it's not disappearing. You're transferring <laughs> it from your bank statement into another asset, into mm. a house. It's not disappearing. All right. And there is a um, one of the – I forgot his name. You would know his name. Everyone here would probably know his name. I forgot his name. But there's a guy that does a lot of teaching. He's in real estate. And he, he rails against saving money. He said, like – I don't think it's bad to save money, obviously, but he's like, you can't save your way to wealth. No. You, you right. have to invest. No, you got to put your money somewhere at work where it works for you and not sitting idle and getting a half a percent a month. Money is like it has Correct. to move. It has to be active. It doesn't just sit and earn much. I mean, maybe no. it's going to lose money if it sits. Right. Well, I actually, and so, I actually just like, came across. So sorry, Don. No, no, you're good. Go ahead, Erica. Go ahead. I came came across a savings account. Last week, Apple is offering a savings account, and I haven't seen, uh, you know, rate on return this high on a savings account in a long time, and it was 4.15. Wow. What is the average? And that sounds high. What is the average appreciation rate that we're experiencing from year year to year right now? Appreciation in housing? Yes. Um, We talked about it last week. I think it went down, but it's still like, was it five? Five or six. Yeah, this, I mean, uh, it's over. Yeah. It's over the highest yielding savings right. account that you can find on the market. Now, and that's when really, we're going down. Yeah, we're going down. <laughs> but last right. week, if you remember, right. Erica, we talked about from uh, 19, what was it, 82 or something like that. We It's been like, you know, the 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 rate of return has just been incredible in real estate. So you, you're not losing it's money. It's like, invested well. It's, Housing prices have increased like 586% since 1980. I mean, 586% is just a crazy ROI. 
And the thing about buying a house is, yeah, to your point, Erica, you're not uh, decreasing your wealth, you're transferring your wealth, and you're taking a liquid asset, which is money, which is easily spendable, and transferring it into an asset that's not as liquid. You can't as easily spend on your house, although there are you know, you can refinance and cash out and take a HELOC and all of these other things and use your house like a credit card, but you're still like growing your wealth. Whereas if you're taking your money out of the bank, you're not growing that wealth anymore because that money means it's gone and spent unless you're like my grandma and have a paper bag full of money in her purse. Well, and I try to tell everybody, I said, do you need to, do you need to save $10,000 in a year? Great. I want you to save $27.39 every day for a year. And at the end of that year, you'll have 10 grand, mm-hmm. 10 grand. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. I mean, you make it sound easy. Yeah. Well, things are easy and, you know, but they're not, you know, it's like, yeah, you, we can do that. And then you just don't, you know, it's a daily small uh, decisions every day. Hang on through the break. We'll be back soon. Thank you, Erica, and uh, we'll be back on the side. Hello, it's Chad, Larry, and Dawn with the Palmetto Real Estate Pros. Welcome back. Join us live if you have a comment or question at 803-799-TALK. It's 803-799-8255. If you're listening on the podcast, you can't call us live, but you can call us not live, I guess. Well, we're live. Yes. Call us anyway. <laughs> yes, call us anyway. It just won't be on the air. And maybe that's what you need. Not not on the air. I know there's some trepidation from some. I don't want to be on the air. Uh, but at any rate, we're talking about real estate. It was good to have Erica on the line here because we were talking about broker confidence. And, and I'm sure she gets the reports about you know, lender confidence. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a strange world for everyone right now because rates are up. It looks like they're not going to just drop anytime soon. You know, there, there may be a time it's coming, but not yet. But Chad, like I was telling you this morning or yesterday, 7% at one time was a great rate to have. Because people were refinancing homes to get 7% loans. That's right. And uh, 7% is not outrageous, especially as we've said here. You get that money back in, in the government a lot of times because you have well, to write that off on your taxes. That's right. The interest rate actually is tax deductible. So yes. if you think about, oh, my gosh, 7% interest, uh, but you get that money back in a tax credit. That's right. So cool. Thanks, government. Yeah. Uncle Sam wants you to be a homeowner, and they'll even let you write that off, at least at the moment. Now, that may change next year or a year after, depending I mean, on who becomes president. Change, right? Right. You just never can tell. Yeah. But and not this year. This is part of what we're we're discussing here is the confidence of people that are in the industry and how it kind of plays out in what we actually do day to day. And one of the things that um, has been a, a huge talking point for a very long time is this inventory issue. And what's happening now is some federal and local governments are trying to get involved to see because it is a problem it's it is a, a it, problem it's a it's an issue because it creates housing uh, shortages and when you have a housing shortage what happens to price price usually goes up and so it creates affordability problems 
Yes, it basic are. supply and demand. So what the governments are doing, and and we all know this usually works really well when the government fixes something. They it, always fix it. Turns it well. amazing, right? Yes. <laughs> but their their solution mm-hmm. is in some cases uh, local and state is is banning foreign investors um, or banning institutional investors. These are things that have been talked about. Well, why would they do that? Well, why would they have a discussion? Well, and Dawn and I were talking about this during the break. There are some instances where, you know, you can see, you know, a real like a security issue. You know, with foreign investors, we've seen these reports of like Chinese coming in and buying huge farmland right beside military bases mm-hmm. i mean you can see some you know okay you can't do that well, <laughs> you know, in like, california what? there was a there was a shipping yard that the chinese came in to buy the whole shipyard right and so you know, some chinese eyebrows buying, the chinese are also buying up all of our gold so yep. i mean you there know, are concerns well. yeah there's they're legitimate concerns well yeah. But there are also problems. Sure. Because yeah. how do you ban someone from buying something? Now, if it's a foreign okay. government, you know, obviously, but usually a foreign government's not going to come in and say, hey, we're the Republic of China and we want to buy all your farmland by your military bases. <laughs> That's not how it works. It's a Chinese national or something or a or a LLC, you know, that's owned by, you know, but how do you ban that? Uh, India's. India, we have a lot of people that from India. And I don't know if anybody from. remembers this as old enough. Dawn, I don't know. You you have to go back in history. But do you, does anybody remember listening out there when people were concerned about the Japanese owning everything? Yes. Do you remember that, oh, Dawn? Yeah, back in the 80s. Yes. Back in the 80s when the yen was like, I mean, the yen was like three to I don't, I'm making this up, but the yen was three times the amount of the dollar or something like that. It was just like crazy amount of yen and then the yen crashed and we've never seen that you know yen that high since then but i completely remember that right and they were buying huge buildings in new york and people were like man they're taking over they're going to buy everything and so in the end it wasn't the nightmare we thought it would be but you know there's concerns right you know especially with foreign governments coming in buying sensitive areas or whatever so that is the concern though but these are some of the things that federal or uh, federal and state municipalities governments are are looking at and they asked brokers about this this Mm -hmm. is one of the things on the broker report would you support bci yes the bci index broker index index. yeah would you support a ban on foreign buyers this is a good question for our audience right would you support a ban on foreign buyers and it sounds like when you hear the question, like, yeah, <laughs> maybe so. But then when you think about it, you're like, well, how would that work? How do we ban some? So it creates some issues once you start thinking about it. Where does that ban stop? Right. And, and who's banned exactly? How do you and, and structure what is, what is that? What is foreign? Because they speak a different language. They look different. Uh, but they're American citizens. Yeah. Right. And how do you right. control that? And and here's the breakdown of what that looked like. So when they asked this question, would you support this ban, 53% of of brokers said no. 33% said not sure. So if you just add the not sure and no up. 34%. Yeah. I mean, so that's a lot. That's a a huge share. And 15% said, or 14%, excuse me, said yes. So it's a smaller percentage that said yes. And um, 
the next question that's related to this, would you support a ban on institutional investors? So these are very different categories, right? So one, foreign investors, foreign money coming in, buying stuff. And then the other is institutional, which would be like a hedge fund, a REIT, you know, not an individual. And again, how do you tell an organization they can't buy something? You know, it leads to some interesting questions. Now, I get why it's a challenge, especially for us little guys, right? We can't compete with an institutional investor. That's right. But, you know, BlackRock, so when BlackRock, and and they were buying a lot of houses in Columbia, and they had this really interesting program. They would buy a brand-new construction house, and then they would um, do an owner financing or a lease-to-own option uh, back to renters who maybe wouldn't qualify to buy that house, but then they would, BlackRock would owner finance it back to these investors. So now they're becoming the bank. They're providing housing. They're providing rental units or they're providing housing units to people who want to own but maybe can't qualify in a different way. So, you know, what kind of service are they providing? They're providing housing to people, you know. Um, now, buying land around a foreign mili- or around our military bases, I, I, I've seen the headlines I would need to know more details, but are they house? Are they are there houses there? Are they Airbnb them? Are they renting them, or are they just you know buying up raw like farmland and not farming it? I mean, there's a lot of variables there that I'm really curious about. Exactly, and those are the things that these are the these are you know where you get into the details, into the weeds a little bit more. Like, what does this mean? Like, you can't just pass blanket bans on things. It causes you to pause. Right, exactly. And so, this is kind of some of the questions that it brings up. And the the second question: Would you support a ban on inst- institutional investors? If we look at this, you have thirty seven percent said no. So, it's it's. You have more support for institutional buyers uh, bans than you did foreign investor bans. Right. Um, so, and the institutional, like BlackRock, is located here in the United States. And again, they're providing housing. Yes, exactly. Housing is housing. People but, need to live in it. I mean, in the South, you see like a lot of houses that are just dilapidated and falling down. And well, and that's one of our specialties is our finding investors and some of these investors like they might not have this giant corporation but how many chad and larry how many houses a year do you sell to an llc how as an llc how many houses do you buy a year so where's the fine line between an institutional investor and a mom and pop investor when really it's an llc that's buying a property perhaps rehabbing that property improving neighborhood values um and uh and providing more housing to people and then you know turning around and reselling that property to somebody who is a traditional home buyer with a mortgage exactly and and that's what we see here is the the institutional buyers are more popular with the broker index on the ban you've got 37 percent said um would you support a ban no 37 percent so you got no, 37%, and not sure, 37%. So it's still a huge majority saying no. But it's more popular than the foreign investors. Right. Would you consider yourself an institutional investor? Yes and no. I mean, probably more no. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) I mean, mean, we're not. I mean, Sometimes. 
yeah. what defines an institutional investor? Well, and that's that's the question that would have to be answered. Institutional could be you are. I mean, if if you're an institution, if you have an LLC, you're, you're a corporation, you're a corporation or, or institution. And I guess but what you guys have an LLC, right? I mean, and and a corporation, and you use and you buy houses. And we have so, investors like, that yeah, invest with us. So fine line. exactly, yeah, I sell houses to LLCs all day long, and you know there are people who, um, you know, maybe they buy five or six houses a year, and and then they flip them, right? Or they buy and hold and provide rentals. So again, where is that fine line with an institutional investor? Because you, I think when I think of institutional investors, I think these giant corporations, right? But sometimes these institutional investors. Or people like us who have an LLC who buy and sell a few houses a year. Any laws that would be enacted to address these things would have to be finely crafted because <laughs> they would have some serious challenges, of, of course. Of course, our government is finely crafted. Well, they, what happens is you, you have lawsuits and then they change it or, mm-hmm. it you know, that's what happens. And Lobbying. so Exactly. Lobbying. And these, so these, these uh, the way the article reads, too, is the... This uh, this bans reflect complexity and nuance of these policies, right? So this is big language to say, hey, you got to be careful when doing this. When you restrict the sale of single family or or property, um, it it does create some some challenges legally. And Canada, as an example of this, had a deep inventory crisis as well. They had to amend their foreign investor home buyer program because it was. Uh, challenged in court because of fair housing issues and so we're going to have to pause right here when we come back we'll talk about these things and some others on the other side see you in a second or a few minutes a few minutes a second welcome back into the palmetto real estate pros with larry chad and dawn it is moving right along now, all the way to 9.47. Um, so mm. we only have this segment left. And, I, you know, I hate to tell you guys this, but this is going to be the, you know, in a, in a few minutes, we're, we'll be over with this uh, Friday podcast. <laughs> you have to wait all till next week to hear us again. Well, not, well, not really. You can get on our website. Go to palmettorealestatepros.com. Uh, scroll down find our podcast and you can listen to two years two years of the pros that's you right can probably listen nonstop for the next two weeks and, and <laughs> almost not get enough yes of if your significant other is is upset that you've been listening too long just say hey look it's too interesting i have to finish <laughs> that's right <laughs> so uh we're, we're glad you're here and you can join us if you have a question or comment also uh call in at 803-799-TALK 803-799-8255 and uh, we are here live at the moment and we want to uh, continue this discussion we're having we were talking about this uh, this this survey i guess of ban of foreign investors and a ban on in- institutional investors and um, we were talking kind of working this out in our own mind how this would work if it uh you know the it's not going to work, I don't think. Well, That's what, kind of what we. What, yeah. would, what would be the re- rationale behind the ban, Chad? What do you think? Well, the foreign investors, I can see. You know, there could be security concerns. Okay. I can see, like with some. Now, other, it could be okay. They're gobbling up 
whatever little inventory that on both of them it, it, they're trying to address a problem of inventory because they can come in and buy inventory at huge a, amounts a, yeah at a bigger amount and and gobble up whatever inventory there is and then it leaves less inventory for the people who want to move in a house and live in it so what what do these people do if they buy a huge amount of land are they building on it or they're just keeping it what what is the issue that well i don't think it's i don't think it's land necessarily i think it's when single family houses and and um this is kind of new in a sense because Mm -hmm. you know back before the pandemic you didn't see institutional buyers getting involved in buying single family houses as much so what do they do with them they they buy them they rent them out um, sometimes they rent them out. Sometimes they, sometimes they renovate them and, mm. and put them back on the market. So are they providing a service for the public? Yes. Yes. So the, what yeah. is wrong with that? I mean, I'm not an advocate on either side, but what is wrong with providing? Well, housing? and that's, you're, you're, you're fleshing out the problem with it, but I guess what would be, uh, wrong, I guess if there's a wrong, it'd be, you know, you're taking all the inventory and you're not allowing individuals to get involved in that process. So, like, uh, I could look at it from our perspective mm-hmm. as a local investor. You know, we've went up against the, the institutional investors and they can pay almost retail. And we're, like, oh. wondering how can you pay retail when the house needs $30,000 in work and you're basically paying retail by the time you take it back, put it back on the market, you're not going to have any money oh, left. Wait. Are you I mean, ter- referring to those iBuyers, like when Zillow was doing their iBuying campaign and they lost um, like $300 million yeah. in a quarter or something exactly. like that? Exactly, yeah. Does that happen? But, but let me ask you this. So let's pivot here for a second. These institutional buyers and real estate, It you know, is real estate commercial? Could they be buying up malls or strip malls or underperforming properties or... Um, or giant, you know, 50-story business offices, you know, are they buying, could they be buying real estate in San Francisco, commercial real estate in San Francisco right now, which is at a plethora when you go in and buy low and sell Mm -hmm. high. Right, yeah. And that is kind of where investing is, is uh, you want to buy low and sell high, right? I mean, investing in the stock market right now, I think would be a good idea. Because stocks are low, some of them lower than others, well, right? And what you notice about the institutional buyers is when the market goes south, they all disappear. I mean, and, and they do do it quickly. They they basically, when they see, you know, that it's turning, they're going to get out of single family homes. They're not going to be around I anymore. I disagree with that. Well, no, I mean, and I, during, well, I know. I'm just saying, like, it's right? like. Zillow, when they started overpaying for houses while they got out. Well, yeah. I mean, they were overpaying, right? But mm-hmm. back in the Great Recession, 2008, 2009, I was in real estate. Well, I, I wasn't selling real estate, but I was working as an admin for a real estate company in Las Vegas, which had one of the highest unemployment rates in the country. Everybody knew somebody unemployed or underemployed that was losing a house. And that's when investors came in. I mean, before in 2007, I was looking at buying a house in Las Vegas, two bedroom, two bath, 1500 square feet, $400,000. And I didn't, I'm like, I just, I can't even fathom that. Right. But a year later, that same house 
or definitely two years later, was now $100,000. And that's when investors were coming in and buying these houses. So again, it's like that supply and demand when there was a glut of supply and you could buy low investors were coming in and buying them i think what i'm saying commercial real estate right now we agree in a in a sense because what happens with an institutional buyers is they follow the trend you know the trend is your friend so they're going to follow the trend and uh you know if there's a market that's not doing well there you know it's just like a lot of these big um institutional buyers they like certain markets and they don't go in other markets you know, you know, they start in the markets that they know are strong, and then they'll move to the other markets, uh, the uh, we call tertiary markets or whatever, as they see the the opportunities there. And so, um, yeah, I mean, people want to take advantage of a downtrend, but if they see the downtrend lasting too long, they're not going to stay in it, especially institutional, because they're they have to you know tell their investors, hey, yeah. this is what we're doing with your money, and we bought it here, but the market has gone down 30%, so we've lost all your money, or we can't give you a return or on your investment. they're watching the market go down and seeing and, and determining when they think it's hitting rock bottom and going bye, bye, bye. Okay, wait, remember that movie um, uh, Trading Places with Eddie Murphy? And in the end, they're you know doing the uh, orange juice shares, and they're buying – they're selling high and buying low and they went you know anyway you guys all i remember don but i think saw, we've right? we're probably lost half the audience we're, we're talking about japan in the 80s <laughs> and and trading places from the 80s sorry folks <laughs> but sorry, the, the point is well made <laughs> <laughs> that's right so but these are these are the these are complexities that we're talking about so we're we're kind of fleshing it out for all of you to hear and this is kind of why it's it's a challenge just to say hey we're gonna keep some people from being in the market to help other people in the market there's always unintended consequences for all the decisions that are made by 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 up people you know there Mm -hmm. there's nothing is nothing is a bottom line here is if you're looking for a house to buy looking for a property to sell looking for an apartment looking for a rental Call the real estate pros. We we do a little right. bit of all of that, and we'll help you get through the menagerie of loans or no loans or renting and all of these things that's cyclical because everything goes in a circle. It changes from year to year to year to year. And what was, maybe will be again. Yeah, I've heard that somewhere before. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, and, and this is what we see in the market in general. And, you know, we, we know that whether it's an institutional buyer or whether a mom-and-pop investor, uh, like, you know, I guess we would maybe consider ourselves, you know, yeah. we're, we're hands on the ground or hands <laughs> right here. We're we're local. I mean, that doesn't mean we can't buy something in another state. But, you know, think about that. Oh. What if a state decided, hey, if you're out of state, you can't buy something here? Um, you know, I mean, right. If you're a we're LLC local or in something, South Carolina, right? We're local in Georgia. We're local at the ocean. We're local in a lot of different places. We've got boots on the ground, ready to help you. Exactly. And so these are the things that, that the challenges with decisions made from 
someone trying to fix something, there's always unintended consequences to it. This is kind of like how it works in legislatures, why they're always in session every year. And they change laws all Because the time. it changes. Things change. You have to address something to address something that was already addressed. You know, how we had to put a patch on it. Yeah. And so um, these are things that happen in the real estate market as well. We see issues. We try to fix them. And um, the the good news is there are people local on the ground who are actually in the market that can help you. And that's what we want to, you know, really push you toward, get with someone who's local because the local people know what's going on way more than even even the the municipality. They don't mm-hmm. seeing it and seeing challenges, but it's like, you know, the people that are working in the industry every day, like we are, like all you other folks that are real estate agents and um, investors, practitioners in this industry. Lawyers. Oh, yeah. You guys know exactly what's going on and can help folks navigate these waters the best. And that's what we'd encourage you to do is find us or someone like um, a, a local expert. Um, you know, these folks we have on our radio show, the sponsors. And um, we've only got a few seconds here. But we want to encourage you to listen next week. Encourage you to go to our podcast at Palmetto Real Estate Pros dot com until next week you can uh have a great weekend and hopefully tune in next week and tune into the podcast we'll see you then admit it You've been woken out of a home improvement fever dream after an HGTV binge session and believed you could be a house flipper. Well, that dream is more realistic than you thought. Let the pros at the Palmetto Real Estate Group of SC guide you through the investment and rehab process. And let's make those dreams come true. Learn more at palmettoreg.com.